Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, welcome to Cube Show Podcasts. Postseason edition as we uh, begin to finish up bowl games, bowl game previews, as always, brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious, where you can even get a jar of pickles as big as your noggin, like I have here. They are wonderful. They are delicious. We love them. We eat them. Find them in your local grocery store. Uh, if you don't have them there, you can probably find them online and have them delivered straight to your home. Appreciate Wickle supporting the pot. All right, we get into college football. We tell you what we saw on film. We try to break it down each and every week, and we got a lot going on, a lot to get to. It's going to be a busy episode uh, because we have had bowl games, and obviously there's not SEC teams playing one another. So they're playing other teams. So we have more games to get through. Um, kind of like that uh, lettuce weekend before rivalry weekend. We got to get into it. So uh, what did we see? Um, some good performances, some bad performances. Uh, I'm going to start kind of with one of the bad. Uh, go to the Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. Uh, Iowa 21, Kentucky 0. This was almost exactly what we thought it was going to be. Terrible in almost every sense of the word. Um, Kentucky couldn't move the football, 185 total yards, two of 18 on third down. Iowa wins the football game and did not convert a third down. They were over 10. Um, obviously pick sixes, turnovers, two turnovers for Kentucky ended up being the difference in the game. Both teams under 70 yards rushing. It, there was just nothing there. I will say Sam Laporta tied in for, uh, Iowa. I mean, they're lining this kid up at quarterback and wildcat. He's, he had one of the greatest runs of the season. Literally, that, I, that I've seen of a, of a running back, a receiver, a, a tailback, anybody, when he just bowled through the entire Kentucky defense. And he was impressive. What did I like about this, though? I, I still think Kentucky showed up to play with good energy, the majority of the team. Now, offensively, they just couldn't get anything done. It just it, it wasn't going to be there. It, it wasn't going to happen. Quarterback situation, not good enough to really be able to get things done. Um, the longest play from scrimmage for the Wildcats was a 19-yard Destin Wade run. Uh, he and Deuce Hogan, just, they combined 22 at 37, 3.2 per pass. It just no touchdowns, two picks. It, it, it wasn't there. The rushing attack wasn't going to be there. They were going to need balance against a physical Iowa front. Couldn't find that. Um, I thought Dane Key looked like he did some things. You know, he was the one explosive player I thought could be the difference in this game. He was actually the reason I picked Kentucky to win this game. Knew you weren't going to be able to turn it over because those kind of things were just going to be massive in this kind of a matchup, just a slugfest, slower type football game. What I did like, though, also was a lot of the effort from a lot of the guys. Um, it didn't really appear as though a game where they just didn't show up. Um, but I also really like the interior of the defensive line. Justin Rogers, I thought he played a great game. Uh, Deion Walker played great inside. Uh, 90 played good inside. Uh, Zion Childress played great coming down from the secondary, had a couple big hits. Uh, so the defense showed up, played like their hair was on fire most of the game. I, I was impressed with that group, especially inside. 
And then I saw Freddie Maggard say today he thinks Rogers going to hit the portal. So that'd be a big loss. I hope that doesn't happen for the Wildcats, but thought he played nice in this game. JJ Weaver had a nice game, um, but it was just about what we thought it was going to be uh, a lot of ugly, not very exciting. And I thought it'd be a Kentucky win. It wasn't, they finished seven and six. So they're done. All right. We will move on to one that was a little bit earlier, but I don't think we hit the last time we did the pod. Uh, what happened with Texas Tech and Ole Miss in the uh, Tax Ag Texas Bowl? 42-25, uh, Texas Tech gets the win. I did not anticipate Texas Tech being a team that would come in and push Ole Miss around. Now, we know the Ole Miss defense hadn't been great, but that's exactly what happened. Um, and it was really, I mean, Tyler Shuck was the main guy that was doing it on the ground for Texas Tech. He had 111 yards rushing. He threw for 242. Um, and they outgained Ole Miss uh, 242 to 197 on the ground. So I I didn't see that coming, not that way. Um, and a lot of the Ole Miss rushing yards came late. Judkins gets up to 91 yards. There was a big run late uh, that he added onto that. Jackson Dart added some on the ground, but Ole Miss could not get that rushing attack going. What I saw there, a lot of the backside of the Texas Tech defense able to come flat down the line of scrimmage and make plays. Um, that was not short up or there weren't enough things to call to necessarily keep that player or those players at home. And Texas Tech played it pretty aggressive. I mean, they were not afraid to come down flat and be able to try to take that away. Also, um, I thought Sinner struggled in this game for Ole Miss, just not one of his better games. Um, I thought they struggled a little bit in pass protection. Blocking on the perimeter was something that was disappointing for Ole Miss. Uh, the tight ends, the receivers, even some of the backs that were out wide when there would be some space created, couldn't get a block or two made to allow for an explosive play to be generated. Um, I thought also the box count was a little bit off for Ole Miss. Now, what I say when I what I mean when I say that is, you know, the recognition of pressures, where they're going to come from, who the offensive line is responsible. If you have a back end for somebody, tight end going to stay in, helping protection, who does he have? The numbers seem to be off of who Jackson Dart thought was going to be accounted for, wasn't accounted for. When they slid protection, numbers coming from the other side, it just it was off a little bit. I thought there was some miscommunication there for Ole Miss in that game. I thought Dart played fairly well, though. Um, I mean, through for 361, yeah, yeah, the interceptions, but – uh, I'm not going to put all three of those on him. I, I thought he did some good things. Uh, I thought he's pretty tough in the run game. And I thought Malik Heath had a big game for Ole Miss, but uh, just not enough to get it done. Defensively, you play like that, you're, you're, you're not going to win a ton of games. So overall, I thought, you know, kind of a disappointing uh, performance for Ole Miss as they'll finish up the season eight and five. Uh, Mississippi State and Illinois, that was yesterday. Uh, as we are, or no, that was, uh, yeah, it was yesterday. As we're recording this on Tuesday, January the 2nd is when that game was. Uh, they go to the ReliQuest Bowl. <sighs> Just a cool win, man. Uh, the helmets, you know, with the with the Jolly Roger on one side, you're playing it there in Tampa Bay where you got a pirate ship in the stadium. Wasn't Will Rogers' best game. Um, you know, I thought, I thought Jaquavius Marks played well. I thought they, I thought all the backs ran the ball hard. Uh, the offensive line was 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 decent, um, but Will Rogers just a little bit off. I thought the uh, I thought Illinois had a nice plan to try to take some things away, um, and I thought Mississippi State didn't do a good enough job being able to get to Tommy DeVito. He worked the middle of the field well. Isaiah Williams had a couple of big catches, almost a really big catch on the last play of the game, which ended up hitting that over for a lot of people. And I know you were thankful for that. Um, but what Ole Miss did was fight, scratch, claw, keep it within distance, made a couple plays late. Will Rogers drives that team down, 
finds a couple of nice plays, and then they go out and Biscardi kicks a game winner. Exactly the way Coach Leach would have liked it, right? A, a field goal kicker deciding that game, um, knowing that there's no way he'd be a fan of that. Either way, he'd be a fan of seeing that team win, get to nine wins. Will Rogers continues to move up the record books. He passes Eli Manning for, I think, eighth most touchdown passes in an SEC career. Um, he goes 29 to 44, 261. Like I said, not his best game, but he did some nice things. And that's just one of those games where you you, you knew Ole Miss, you Mississippi State was going to win it. You knew they were going to find a way to win it. You knew they were going to find a way to get out there and just win it for Coach Leach and get it done. And they were able to go out and do that. So I commend Zach Arnett, a very difficult situation, being able to find a way to keep that team together. A lot of guys coming back. Be interested to see what he does with the staff. Don't really know yet. And, you know, you kind of roll along that way. Uh, Notre Dame and South Carolina Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Wow. Uh, there's a lot that we could say about this one and diagnose into this one. Um, first off, I'll say this. You, know, you had a couple guys opt out that were important to your team. Jaheim Bell, Marshawn Lloyd are out. So the offense changes. I thought Spencer Rattler, 29 of 46, 246, two touchdowns, had the one pick. But I thought he looked good. He was decisive. He didn't panic at times. There was some pressure. He did some good things. I give him credit for that. Uh, and then also give the coaching staff credit for being creative. We saw this in the bowl game last year. That's where Jaheim Bell kind of blew up. Uh, you get Kai Kroger in the backfield to carry on Joyner at quarterback again. You're lining up people in different places. Um, I mean, you take one of your big defensive tackles and you got him lined up at tight end and Jordan Birch is running down the field, had a touchdown right there in his hands and they just missed it. I love the creativity in a bowl. You have extra time, put things in, do different things. I was really impressed with how they did that. I was beyond impressed with Nate Atkins in this game. Five catches for 78 yards. He's blocking folks. He's helping in protection. He's helping in the run game. 44 is massive for South Carolina in this game. And honestly, he was massive for them all year. Uh, You know, Satterfield told us one time when we had him this year, he is kind of the glue of the offense. He keeps everything going. I thought he was great for South Carolina in this game. you know, I thought you had a couple of guys that that sort of added a little bit of a dynamic threat. Like I thought Juju McDowell did a nice job out of the backfield. Uh, you know, Christian Bill Smith helped out a little bit. Um, you know, Xavier Leggett obviously is, you know, a big time target. You know, he was able to go out and make a few plays. Uh, but really and truly, you're down a couple of guys and the defense let you down a little bit late. Um you know, I thought the offensive line played fairly well. I thought Jovan Gwynn had some nice blocks. 53 played well. They did enough to go win that football game. Um, I just thought late, they lost the tight end and the running back throughout the course of the game defensively. Uh, there were times when the back was out in the flat or the tight end was in certain spots and just not located quickly enough. Very easy throws for Tyler Buckner at that case. And then did not fit the run well late. Fit the run well most of the game, but then there's just there are a couple of plays late where Notre Dame's able to keep drives alive or go pick up big chunks of yards. And the linebackers, safeties, D linemen just out of their gaps, not fitting it correctly, and they're able to bust a few. And that, listen, those are some big physical backs that Notre Dame brings to the table. It's a good offensive line. Yes, you were down Michael Mayer. Yes, you were down Isaiah Foskey, but they were able to generate some things, stay in that game, get some points late, outscored South Carolina 14-7 in the fourth quarter. But you know, I thought, I thought once again, South Carolina showed up to play. Uh, Notre Dame just made more big plays when they had to. Um, I love the creativity and the plan. And really and truly, like I said, I think just 
the linebacker safety, second, third level, misfitting the run late, losing tight ends and backs across the course of the game a couple of times led to big plays, led to wide open receivers. And ultimately, that really ended up being the difference in the game because I thought South Carolina did enough things to go win that game. They just allowed, they made life too easy on Notre Dame too often and allowed them to go steal that one because I really kind of thought that's what they did. They went out and stole it. Um, all right, uh, Tennessee in the Orange Bowl, very impressive win. So Jalen Hyatt's out, Hinden Hooker's out. Um, you know, you're down a bunch of guys on offense that have helped you in this, in this entire season, but Joe Milton comes out. And he lives up to every bit of the Bazooka Joe nickname. I mean, goodness gracious, pushing the ball down the field. There was one I saw in film. I had to rewind it a couple of times. And man, I, I thought it was because where the receiver high points it, that thing was going to end up over 70 yards in the air. And the crazy thing was, like, he did that four or five times in this game, and it never, his arm motion never looked at full speed, ever. That's what's crazy about Milton is he can bomb it 50, 60, 70 yards, and he still doesn't look like he's throwing it as hard as he can. It's nuts. With another offseason of development, depending on what happens with Tennessee at receiver, and I think you're going to have Brew McCoy back, Squirrel White's going to be back, um, a lot of that offensive line will be intact. Darnell Wright had a great game at right tackle. Um, he has been phenomenal for Tennessee all year. He and Spragans, once again, fun to watch, finishing guys, you know, shoving guys around, pushing guys around. But Wright was awesome in this game, and he's been really, I think, the best right tackle in college football all season. Uh, and that's going to show up in the draft. He's going to make some money. Uh, but Joe Milton knows how to come in and run the offense. I think that's the advantage is Cade Klubnick's got a ton of talent on the other side, but could he manage every aspect of the offense? That's what Joe Milton knows how to do right now. So you're going to take all that talent with that knowledge, and there are a few things about his game that needs to be finely tuned, that needs to be honed in a little bit. And if he can do that, touch controlling velocity, feel, some of the rhythm stuff, timing. He gets a little bit of control of some of that. He could be in store for a big year at Tennessee next season. And listen, Klubnick did some nice things, turned it over a couple of times. Um, but still, this is a big win for Tennessee. You get to 11-2, and two, you win an Orange Bowl. This is the first major bowl win for Tennessee since, I think, 2001. It's unbelievable uh, what the Vols have done. 31-14, they knock off Clemson. Hell of a year. And uh, you just give Josh Heupel a lot of credit. How quickly they've gotten this thing going. It has been beyond impressive. Um, all right, we'll go to the Sugar Bowl. Alabama, Kansas State. And, you know, I thought K-State would hang in this game. They hung around for almost a half. Physically, it felt like they held up a little bit longer than that. It's not like Alabama just played bully ball. And Kansas State couldn't do anything. But I thought Alabama out-executed Kansas State in this game. Offensively, the offensive line wasn't great. Uh, they allowed some leakage, some penetration at times. But Bryce Young able to move around, create, do some things. Same thing with Jameer Gibbs. There are a couple of run plays that weren't just there. But he's able to dance, be patient, wait, create, and then find something, turn them into better plays. He was good out of the backfield as well. I thought Cam Latu was nice in this game. Robbie Utes, we knew those two. You were going to have to have them just because of the difference in the offensive line. And you were going to need a way to be a little bit more physical and match up with what K-State was going to bring. They did that. Um, Jermaine Burton, pretty nice game. But there was one thing. I'll go to the defense first. Um, I thought Kool-Aid McKinstry had a really nice game. A couple passes defended. Uh, Jordan Battle, really nice game. Had the pick. Nice tackles on the perimeter. Uh, Branch had a nice game out of the back uh, out of the backfield as well. Byron Young flashed a little bit in this game. Um, I thought Chris Braswell did a nice job rushing the passer in this game. But I thought team defense won this game for Alabama. It felt like they executed well. 
from sideline to sideline, from the back all the way down to the front, and just had an understanding of where to be, what to do. And that's a tough Kansas State defense to defend because now with Will Howard, they know how to push the ball down the field. You obviously have a running back that when he gets out on the perimeter can be dangerous, can make you pay. But I thought collectively this is a really nice performance for the Alabama defense. They deserve a lot of credit for that. Uh, Pete Golding, Nick Saban got them ready for this one. I thought 32 diagnosed some things well defensively also. Um, The offensive line did struggle. 55 struggled specifically. But I thought 52, Tyler Booker put himself on the map. We've seen him a little bit. We've known about him. You guys have heard me talk about him. Uh, I do think he's a guy that's going to be one to watch going into next season. For me, um, he's on that list of SEC offensive linemen I'm anxious to watch next year. Um, I think he can be that good. I think he's got that much power. He's going to have another offseason to get ready as far as acclimation, understanding of everything going on. I'm excited about Tyler Booker and that Alabama offense next year. There are going to be a lot of questions, though. Anderson announces he's gone. Gibbs announces he's gone. And then obviously your Heisman Trophy winning quarterback announces that he's gone, which brings me to kind of what I left coming away from watching this film. All the things that I just mentioned, yes. But I could not help after I turned this film off thinking sort of one thing. And I kept coming back to it. And it was just that we probably still don't have a full appreciation for how good Bryce Young is, has been, how good his career as a college football player was. And, you know, there are a bunch of smart asses on Twitter that saw me tweet that and goes, I have a full appreciation how good he is. I know you think you do. But as somebody who who appreciates it, knows it's good, knows it's really good, um, sometimes I watch and you have to watch closely and you have to watch a little bit repetitively to understand the things he gets out of, the things he finds a way to do, um, and not just the accuracy on the corner out in the back of the end zone for the touchdown, but some of the other throws where he's moving around and quickly gets it out, the arm angles. You just – he had an amazing career, and he's going to go down as one of the best in Alabama football history, and he deserves it. But I, all I'm saying is even with a Heisman, he's going to be drafted in the top five. I still think we we might not fully just grasp how good he was even though we watched it and we know – that it was great to a certain extent. My point is just that I think it may be greater than what a lot of us actually realize that we've been watching for the last couple of years. He was fantastic. Gibbs was fantastic. Those three are going to be gone. Saban says there may be a few more. I don't know exactly who those could be. Maybe a guy or two out of the secondary. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens as far as if there's another guy or two that decide to test the waters to the NFL draft for Alabama. That's a nice win. 45-20 against a top 10 team where I think Nick Saban has a hundred wins against AP ranked teams. Stupid. It's ridiculous. Uh, And you dominate the sugar bowl, which the sugar bowl is still a big deal. And it's a big deal to a lot of people in this part of the country, especially Alabama has won multiple national championships in that bowl game. So, and in that venue, it's, it's, they, it means a lot. And to have those guys playing was great. I think it's great for college football. It's great for Alabama. It's great for them. And they finish the job. They go to 11 and two, have a really nice year. And, you know, it's going to be one to be proud of. I don't think there's anything to hang your head about if you're Alabama and you were on that football team this season. So they close it off in a very nice way. A lot of guys impressive. Um, and a lot of guys actually did a lot of things well. Um, even some of the young running backs like Jeremiah Miller, I thought was great when he got a chance to get in there and go. 
Um, so you got a little bit of vision with with Miller and Booker. Some of the guys are going to be heavy contributors next season that Alabama is going to sort of lean on, rely on. Uh, I missed LSU. Uh, we'll talk LSU and Purdue a little bit before we get to Georgia. Um, the Cheese at Citrus Bowl, 63-7, to seven, uh, tied for the largest margin of victory in a bowl game ever. Not LSU, not SEC, any team ever. Tied for the largest margin of victory. Uh, most points scored by LSU in a bowl game ever. Largest margin of victory in a bowl game for an LSU football team ever. Um, you had three different players throw a touchdown. You had two players throw and catch a touchdown with Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors. I mean, this thing was just unbelievable. And we, and we knew with Aiden McConnell out and Charlie Jones out for Purdue, it was it was going to be tough for them to really compete, but it didn't look like they were used to this kind of speed ever. It didn't look like they were used to this kind of physicality ever. And you saw, again, some younger guys making some contributions for LSU, like Mason Taylor, that looking like next year might not be so bad. Kayshawn Booty, uh, his whole deal, finally gone, back and forth, whatever. Uh, they're going to be fine at that spot next year, and they're going to be fine as a team next year. Daniels announces he's coming back. How about 885 yards on the season rushing for Jaden Daniels? First LSU quarterback to lead the team in rushing yards since Alvin Dark in 1942. Wow. Okay. So Daniels will be back. Strong core receiver going to be back. Your tight end's going to be back. Both tackles are going to be back. I thought 75 played great up front. Bradford was nice for LSU on that offensive line yesterday. Backs ran the ball hard. Defensive front was problematic the entire game, and that's without Gay and Olajari. So give them credit, the younger guys stepping up, taking advantage of that opportunity, and going out and making plays. So uh, it's an impressive win, 63-7. to seven. I don't really care who it is. Purdue just can't find their way in bowl games uh, as they get blown out again. Another one by an SEC team, by the way. All right, so that'll bring us to Georgia and Ohio State. Um, 42-41. Last second field goal by Ohio State doesn't go through, but the secondary a little bit problematic again. CJ Stroud throws for 348, four touchdowns, no picks. Um, you know, I, I'm not overly concerned about it, but I, I will get to TCU in a minute as I was on that game. And I think Georgia should just flat be concerned about TCU in general and just everything that they are. But from a secondary standpoint, uh, you're going to face a quarterback that one can break you down with his legs. Two's going to do it more by design than CJ Stroud just did. I think has more mobility and is going to be more willing to to adhere to contact than CJ Stroud was. So that could help him gain even more yards. You got a big boy receiver you're going to have to deal with, but uh, I thought that the Georgia front did a good job inside being able to get to CJ Stroud off the edge, not as much but didn't break down and force him to be wrong, allowed him to move in the pocket, complete balls downfield, allowed him to break you down and run and turn those into explosive plays. That's a bit of an issue. And Ohio State actually ran the ball better than I thought they would anyway. The story of the game, though, is the Georgia offense because that, to me, is why Georgia won this football game. They scored 42 points on Ohio State. Stetson Bennett goes for 398. Kenny McIntosh is running like his hair's on fire, uh, turf monster or not. He is running well. The offensive line played pretty good football. I didn't think it was the elite performance by them, but they did some really nice things, especially in the screen game. They get out on the perimeter well. Arian Smith finally shows up. The big speedster DB falls down trying to cover him. That's an explosive play. Stetson Bennett on that last drive threads the needle twice. Two massive throws testing the middle of the field to get down and help Georgia score, take the lead, and thus that ends up being the game. Here's where it becomes problematic. 
And what I love about this Georgia offense is just what they make you defend. They open up the game. I think the first 12 plays were out of shotgun. Then they decide a little bit later to try to lean on you, and they go 12 personnel with two tight ends. They widen the surface, and they get downhill in the run game, run inside zone duo, come right at you. It's just it's the variety that Munkin can give you in different ways at different points in time in the game. Um, now, the Georgia tight ends are massive in their game plan, and some in stature, that being Darnell Washington. I think they need him in this game because when I, I was at – the Michigan TCU game, one thing that really happened in that game is the Michigan tight end struggled a lot. A lot of the deficiencies in the running game and sometimes in pass protection were on the Michigan tight ends. I'm not saying the offensive line played great football, but when you really dive into it, the Michigan tight ends did not play well at all, and that led to a lot of a leakage. Still should be able to get it done in short yardage, and they couldn't, but nonetheless, uh, Stetson Bennett was great. Uh, a lot of this conversation about him playing outside the scheme, outside the system, I just don't know if I really buy it. I don't know. I don't know how much of that's real. Um, but Georgia's going to play for a national championship. Now, next episode, we'll come back. We'll preview all of that. Um, I thought Broderick Jones had a nice game up front at tackle. Uh, Cedric Van Praan outside of the one snap. I thought he did some good things. Again, it wasn't dominant there, but it was enough. And then you know, when they had to make some plays, that offensive line stood up and either found a way to get a hat on a hat. Ohio State played a little bit lighter in the box than I thought they would also. And so a, lot, a couple of times, Georgia gets a hat on a hat and it's out the gate. Um, the difficulties with TCU's defense will be different. And we'll discuss those in next week's pod. We'll drop it on Sunday, obviously leading into the Monday National Championship edition of Georgia and TCU uh, but I will go back to that game just for a minute. And I know I, I this is mostly SEC, and that's usually what we do. But uh, I just want to say a big thank you to Pat McAfee, all the folks at ESPN for allowing me to be a part of the megacast on the Fiesta Bowl. Um, RG3, Taylor Luan, AQ Shipley were incredible. Um, our folks behind the scene, Seth Miller and L, were great. Our camera folks, Dirk and company, did an awesome job. Like we were madmen on that field, running all over the place, doing different things. There was no script for a lot of things that we did. They followed along. They helped. It was just a blast. I mean, number one, being able to be on a part of a call. I don't care what facet it is. You get to call a playoff game. That's incredible. And it was awesome for me. It was a memorable experience. Then being able to just let loose and and call it kind of like a fan and have fun with it was unbelievable. Um, RG3 was fantastic, went right along with everything that we wanted to do, and he's working with three other offensive linemen. Taylor Luan's personality is is just off the charts. AQ, Shipley, he knows ball. He's fun, uh, very charismatic. It just it ended up being great. The game helped, obviously. It was an amazing game. Um, but it was just – it was so cool to be a part of. I'm, I'm very grateful to Pat for allowing me to be on it, the folks at ESPN for helping get me on it, and all the guys we worked with because it was unbelievable. I'd love to do it again. I wish we were doing it this week, but I uh, just want to say thank you, and I'm appreciative to everybody that was there. That game was insane. You talk about answers, counterpunches. I have never seen more swings in momentum, like massive swings in momentum in one football game than I did in that game, ever, never. I mean, it was back and forth. Michigan's dead. TCU's dead. Michigan's back. Michigan's dead. Michigan's back. Michigan's dead. It was unreal. It really was. And multiple guys on both sides. I mean, Ronnie Bell making huge plays. 
Uh, I mean, it was back and forth, back and forth, just making massive plays. And I was blown away with TCU up front on both sides of the ball. That O-line bigger than I thought they were. Defensive line more stout than I thought they were. And the linebackers so much faster and a little bit bigger than I thought they were as well. So we're going to have a ton of time to preview that one next week. It's going to be fun. We'll give you a full Ohio State, excuse me, a full TCU Georgia preview for the national championship, how it's going to go, what it's going to look like, and what it's going to be. This one went a little bit longer than normal, but like I said, we had a lot of games that I wanted to get to, try to talk about, try to cover, as went through the film the last two days, able to get that knocked out, and be able to rewatch those and help distribute that for you. As always, you know, we're brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. Go pick up some of yours. We appreciate the time. Appreciate your support. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. I think we're up to like uh, seven subscribers now on YouTube. So it's really exciting times around here. But we'll be back next week to preview the national championship. Cube Show, a college football podcast. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.